0: Hello and welcome to Politics War Room with James Carville and I'm Al Hunt. Our, this week our guest is an expert on organized crime, the FBI, and the Mueller investigation of Donald Trump and many other high-profile legal cases, Andrew Weissman. Remember, we love taking your questions, so write into politicswarroom at gmail.com or send a tweet to at Politicon for next week's show. We'll get to as many as we can and don't forget to tell us where you're from please check out the link to our sponsors lomi in the show notes we thank you for supporting our sponsors it really helps make this podcast happen please tell your friends about us and remind them to subscribe on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher or wherever you get your podcast uh, james uh, we're going to talk to andrew weisman i uh, couldn't have a better guest about the legal considerations and the implications of the special counsels on Biden and Trump on classified documents. And he'll spell out the differences. But let's let's just talk about just the politics of it. Does it affect either one as far as 2024 is concerned? No.
1: All the Democrats need to do, and listen very closely because I'm going to say this repeatedly, simply say the president and his entire administration is cooperating with the independent counsel. That's it. Okay. Nothing right. else, but that, okay. that's on Nothing. that's
0: on the council. Let's just talk about the politics of it. That's okay. what we, we're going. Andrew can talk about that. Right. Right. Uh, no, but that's the politics. Okay. Understand?
1: Right. I'm giving the most political answer you
0: can imagine. They, so it has no effect on 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 Biden. How about on Trump? Well, let's talk to Andrew about the,
1: the Trump case. I can only speak to the Biden case. And, and the next time I see some long-faced Democrat on cable news talking about it, I'm very concerned about this. I'm going to jump out of my skin, okay? What you ought to be saying is there's a secret three-page written document that outlines the sleazy deal that Kevin McCarthy made with these extreme right-wingers. And why haven't these 18 Republicans who lit, who elected in District Biden carried asked to see it? Don't say anything more then the president and his administration cooperate. All right,
0: right, let's move then to the the House. Um, As part of that deal, a part that we know, uh, McCarthy put the four horsemen of the apocalypse uh, on the House Oversight Committee. I mean, mean, this is what a collection. Paul Gosar, whose own siblings say he is totally unfit for office. Scott Perry, who sought a pardon for from President Trump for his efforts to overturn the election. And Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert now in a big fight over who's crazier. I think it's a tie. Uh, This is a clown show, and this is what Kevin McCarthy, this is the hand I guess he was dealt, but it's a hand he's playing. And, uh, James, I have a feeling that it's going to really backfire on him. I wouldn't even talk about them.
1: I would talk about the eighteen. Do you have any idea on what you voted for? Do you have any idea? Did you ask what deals were made? I, I, I would say that Tom Kane's son and and Marjorie Taylor Green and Paul Gosar are the same people, all right? Tom Kane's son and the 17 others like him voted for something that they had no idea what was in it. James, and let's tell what,
0: people what you're talking about about the 18. I would amend it to the 17 because one of okay. them is George Santos. These are Republicans who were elected in districts that Biden carried. Correct. So, seventh, uh, take out George Santos. Uh, there's 17, and Santos. there are okay. also, by the way, three others who won by less than one 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 point, including Lauren right. Boebert. So they, you they, have, they, a they, they have a bunch.
1: You have a bunch, and and you're not you're not going to beat Marjorie Taylor Greene. Don't just use her as a prop. Go after the 20. And all of them, I guarantee you, you go dig up their spots, they all talk about can do and Washington is is dysfunctional and blah, 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 blah. That's who to focus on. That's totally who to focus on. And there is a deal that was made that we don't know. They, not, not we, they don't know what the hell they're voting on. And make them pay a price, a big one.
0: And it was clearly private. There was a story today that I think, I think his name is Vern Buchanan, a congressman from Florida who was scheduled yes. to be on the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee. Uh, and instead, and I guess in a bit of a surprise, it went to, um, you know, uh, Congressman Smith of, uh, I, I believe, Missouri. And that was because he was big for Kevin McCarthy and he cut that private deal. And yes. Buchanan did not know about it. Uh, until, yes. uh, until they voted. Now, what yeah. other stuff is there? What other stuff is there on votes? What other stuff is there on impeachments? What other, what other stuff is there on Correct. ethics? Correct. I mean, you're right. There's a Correct. whole host of things. Correct.
1: And that is the conversation that is to be had. Not a a, a investigation that's going to turn up diddly squat. All right? That's, that's, that's where all of the focus of the Democrats should be. Where's the three pages? Could you look for it? I asked my colleagues, do you have any idea what you're voting on? And and McCarthy, you know, Burnaby County is a very wealthy guy. I think he's a car dealer like in Sarasota. he is. And and he thought, he he, you know, they got the majority. He thought he was going to be committee chair. Well, stuck the shib in him pretty good. And if I was Burnaby County, I'd turn on him. He didn't care. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't need the money. And he, he has no interest in just being a flunky in
0: Kevin McCarthy's army. I, I may be wrong because of the redistricting. They could have changed it, but that wasn't a solid R.C. And his, yeah, and, yeah. And, and if that's still the case, his biggest threat is to resign.
1: I think his son, I, I'm not sure. I'm talking about something that I, I, I have a hazy memory, but I think he's grooming his son Uh to take the seat but I, I, i'll look at it yeah with the, but i do remember it was competitive at one time because i went down in campaigned, for somebody I lost
0: well they ought to go and you're right that'll be the focus now they're gonna f- the clown show is going to force their hand on some things earlier though they plan they say rather quickly to move to impeach the homeland security uh chief mayorkas Uh, who, uh, you know, there's no cause for that whatsoever. It'd be the first cabinet member to be impeached in 147 years. This is the lunatic fringe, and that's where you go back to the 17. And I think what's lost sometimes in some of the coverage is those seven, actually it's 20, I call them the timid 20. Well, that's important. You know, if you said the timid 20 because you add those three who won by one point, they are the people that control the house not the Freedom Caucus, not the—they are the ones that can decide. Uh, they're the margin. Anytime True. McCarthy loses four or five of those, he's dead. And right. the question is, do they have the the will, the guts? I mean, some of them are afraid they'll be primary next time. Uh, some of them are afraid about losing right. money. But those are the people—you mentioned Tom Kane. Uh, they're five from New York. They're five from California— uh, there's, you the know, of Nebraska. Omaha, right. Yeah. Uh, and those people uh, are the balance of
1: power. Make them pay. Bring it up constantly, relentlessly. Make them pay. Put the microphone in their mouths. All right. That's the. that's the art. Of politics, and the Democrats don't do that very well because they get distracted and they answer other stuff and they want to show people how smart they are or how independent they are. Bring it up all the time. You're exactly right. It's 20 people, it's 19, it's 21. It's a whole bunch, and they are not comfortable. They are not feeling very comfortable now, and the idea is to make them feel more uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, right on, I... I I like twenty because I like the alliteration. Nice the, the timid twenty. Uh yeah, but uh, No. People, yeah. No. This is. That's who they are, and you. When I mean, no, I tell you something. In the weeks ahead, we'll start to name them. I mean, in case anyone, you know, is yeah, can name that. They they know who they are. Right Doing if you know,
1: if you live by uh, them, you know. Right. Spineless, gutless. You know, go along to get along, but but for God's sakes, don't say that 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 the problem solvers. All right, but every Republican on that, well, you don't even you the you don't know what they're doing to solve the problem, right? I, I mean, did we got to we've got to hit the living crap out of this?
0: Yeah, totally agree. And uh, yeah. some enterprising reporter, maybe even get some blood hands, find that three pages. Yes, that's, indeed, that's the key. Okay, we'll we'll be on this. I promise uh, for the next right. uh, weeks and months ahead. I, we will. I just hope. That these long faces
1: I see on cable TV, these Democrats harumphing about how troubling this is, the pivot. Is, is Gergen would say pivot to the to the timid twenty. Okay.
0: Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. Hey, James, we have the perfect guest this week, Andrew Weissman, vast experience in criminal justice, head of the criminal division at the Justice Department, general counsel to the FBI, and the top member of the Mueller investigation of Donald Trump and the Russian ties. Andrew, first, welcome back. Uh, Special counsels are looking into both Trump and President Biden having classified documents in their personal possession. Tell our listeners, uh, what are the similarities, but what are the differences between these two cases?
2: Well, you can't write this um, in a in a movie script. The idea that you have two special counsels investigating the current and former president for uh, mishandling classified documents and government documents is just sort of unreal. Um, so, it's important to know we we don't we don't know a lot of the facts, particularly with respect to the Biden situation. But at least what we do know currently to date is the the differences are much greater than the similarities. Um, Because from a a Department of Justice perspective, the key things uh, that differentiate them I think will be the key things that differentiate between recommending going forward with with a criminal case and not going forward with a criminal case. So in um, the former president's case, um, while we don't have great insight into why the documents were taken or exactly how they ended up at Mar a Lago, um, there's, there's some evidence, but not a lot. We have really good evidence that once they got there, he knew the pre- former president knew they were there. He willfully retained them, he refused to give them back, and he may be also responsible for sort of repeated acts of obstruction in not returning them. Uh, And with President Biden, um, again, we don't have a lot of insight about how the documents got to the Penn biden Center and to his personal home. Uh, The volume of documents is a lot uh, smaller, but there isn't any evidence that once he appears to have known that the documents were there, that he knowingly retained them, that he tried to hide them from the government. In other words, that he still didn't return them. In fact, he, by all accounts, he appears to have returned them uh, immediately and has not obstructed justice uh, in the course of that. So those are the, the sort of big differences. And I, I should add, though, that none of that explains what has been, at the very least, since we're on a podcast and we're free to speak in any way we want, you know, there's really sort of crappy way in which he uh, and his staff have dealt with the communications to the public about what happened.
0: Yeah, they claim that, that they didn't want to interfere with the Justice Department, uh, but, but that really doesn't hold water. I mean, I, I certainly agree with you that the cases are, you know, the Trump case is far more serious. But but, but wouldn't Biden have been better off releasing that information you know a month or two earlier so without the benefit
2: of knowing exactly what the facts were before them and also um, without in any way suggesting that the people involved were are bad people or up to no good because I, I know some of them and like you know so Bob Bauer you know is at NYU and he's a terrific guy and he's honest as the day is long but getting to your question yeah I think people should stop underestimating the American people I think there would have been nothing wrong with just being super candid about what happened and what the facts were and I don't I don't even understand this idea of why that would in any way interfere with a government investigation. Um, I mean, DOJ is not going to have told the White House not to speak. This was not a covert investigation where you were asking somebody not to speak about something. So I I just don't understand the, uh, we didn't speak because of DOJ because eventually they did speak um, and did issue press Releases and did speak to reporters. So, if they didn't, what did DOJ's position change on whether you could speak or not? I just don't think that's terribly plausible. Um, So, I just don't know why they weren't more upfront earlier because, in many ways, the worst facts and the reasons for suspicion are the communications that they've had about this rather than the underlying facts. But as I said, we'll we'll also see. I mean, there is an issue about what both the current and former president were doing with classified information in their respective locations. I mean, I've dealt with classified information when I was in the government. The idea that it would be in my house um, is is... You know, hard
0: to understand. Well, you uh, you know, I, I suspect both these special counsels, Jack Smith and Robert Hur. You also know the way the Justice Department weighs these matters. Given, and I I, I suspect you're absolutely right, or your suspicions are absolutely right that the Trump case is far more serious. There's far more of a not not uh, you know maybe even lying, and certainly not turning over documents when asked for it. But as they consider this, that does the Biden revelations make it harder for them to indict Trump?
2: Uh, You know, I've discussed that with my friends. And I think that the I think I'm going to give you a lawyer's answer, which you're going to hate, which is it kind of does and doesn't. (laughs) Um, I, I think at the Department of Justice, if you're looking at this just as how lawyers are going to look at it at the department, what you are paid to do and your job is focusing on the facts and the law and DOJ precedent for how, the department has handled things in the past and making those distinctions. So distinguishing what we know from the about the Biden case from what we know about the Trump case is what you're paid to do. And so I, in that sense, I don't think it will have any effect on um, on Jack Smith in making his recommendation and it shouldn't have any effect on Rob Herr and making his recommendation. Um, and obviously... Uh, the attorney general will be able to weigh both of those and also to to make sure that they're being treated comparably to other Department of Justice cases. And I I should say, having looked at a lot of the department's uh, cases dealing with classified information, um, the department's cases would, I think, make it make a truly compelling case for why you have to go forward with respect to Donald Trump, because people who've done far less than he appears to have done have been prosecuted. And with respect to Biden, there really is, there's no really good precedent from what we know. And I was looking at the Gonzalez case, for instance, Alberto Gonzalez, who, uh, there was a declination, and he appears to have done something um, pretty minimal but worse than Biden. um, And there was a declination Mm -hmm. in that case. Um, But having said all that about how the department works, I think in terms of the American public, I think that if there is a -a Mar-a-Lago indictment of Donald Trump, I think it will be harder to get uh, the public to understand and accept um, why he is being treated that way and Biden is not. And Um, And this is an unusual situation where having public acceptance and support for the case and understanding why this is an application of the rule of law uh, and that he's being treated comparably to others is really critical to the country.
1: James. So, Andrew, you've been a part of hanging around high-end federal law enforcement a lot, maybe in terms of experience. Can you offer me a reason why in the entire history of the FBI and also in, in there has never been a democratic FBI director and why since Watergate there has never been a democratic special counsel I'm, I'm just wondering cuz this is written on the, the, the tablet in marble right over the capitol building there shall be no democrats director of the FBI or appointed special counsel do you have well, – can you offer me a reason? Yeah, I'm just thinking about – is it
2: is that really true with respect to the special counsel? I mean, I, it's I, mean, true. I know Archibald Cox – I went
1: through no, – we don't know what Robert – we don't know what Jack Smith is.
0: Let, right? me, let me just, just, just do for a minute, James. Uh, uh, Jake okay. Stein, who did Ed Meese, was, 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 a, was a Democrat. So, so there's one exception. But your point is generally right. And was Archibald Cox a Republican? Well, I, I looked at Wikipedia. <laughs> I looked at the Wikipedia,
1: and by my count, I think it was before this, it was nine, oh, nine Republicans, no Democrats, two of intermediate. But I, 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 you can look it up. But, but at any rate, why is it always – why do we always have to – if we're investigating a Republican, well, we've got to get a Republican. If we're investigating a Democrat, well, we've got to get a Democrat. Are there no good Democratic – are there no good Democratic lawyers? So, I'm just asking. You know, I'm asking. You maybe, be, I mean, it's a serious question. No, no, no.
2: I, what, you, what you really might be saying is, why are the Democrats so fearful of, in order to have legitimacy, you have to appoint somebody of the same exactly, party, whereas the Republicans exactly what don't, do I'm not saying. have that view? And look, Robert, I work right. for Robert Mueller, who I enormously respect, and, um, and you know— there, it didn't help anything in terms of his credibility that he was a Republican. He still was subject to the same attacks as if he had been a Democrat. Um, so, um, you know, and it's obvious that Merrick Garland in choosing um, both John Lausch and Rob Her was clearly trying to find uh, uh, d- uh, people who are Republicans to do this so that there was not the same kind of attack that there was on on me and others in the special counsel. So, you know, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, that's, to me, James, that's right. more in your bailiwick than than mine. On the FBI, right. it, it is kind of worth noting, I guess, a couple things. One, we haven't really had that many, um, uh, that many FBI directors. It's very, very few. And it, this is sort of contrary to sort of the Trump attack on the FBI and sort of law enforcement and the intelligence community in general. Um, most like when I think of it the f b i you don't think this is a hotbed of democratic liberalism and and sort of never <laughs> trumpers i mean you know I, I when i i always made this joke that i i thought i was probably the most liberal person at the bureau and then I went off to n y u law school and i was the most conservative person there um you know it's like this is a <laughs> i mean it's a pretty um it's a pretty conservative place, and it may be that it that that kind of Person is both drawn to uh, to leadership in in that in that kind of institution, and it may make them it may make it easier. Um, but there also is a real history of of um, somebody being impartial. I mean, you know, when you think of, of Bob Mueller, you don't really think, oh, he is a political figure and he's aligned with you know, Republicans or Democrats or independents. I mean, he was, you know, for Washington, he was sort of this odd unicorn because he was so apolitical and wanted to keep his head down from from all of that. And, you know, and I think that is a useful uh, trait to have. Um, I should say, I think Jack Smith may have been a Republican early on. And then I think the longer he was sort of in the department, I think he switched to being an independent
1: uh, but yeah, I do think he's an independent he's Democrat now. Democrat. So, so, yeah, so, I, I think look, that's right. You know, now this guy Gleason, okay, a, a retired judge, He, you know, President Clinton appointed a federal bench. He's just, he's just badass and impartial to ever come down the pike but you know— they, they could have never appointed him because not just the Democrats, but the whole press would have said, no, you have to have a Republican. That's the way you get the investigation it gets credibility. But I have, one, I have another question, a legal question for yep. you. Yep. So assume, and in, in even I didn't practice very long, not very good at it, did some criminal work. And the first thing that you would look for, even if you're not a very good lawyer, is what possible defenses you have. So somebody comes in and says, this is it. So you just sort of run through you. You know, you try to check off, you know, a motion to suppress, or, you know, this or that. Right. So if Trump, you know, he's not going to come to you, so don't worry about it. Trump came to you, and based on what you know <laughs> about the Mar-a-Lago case, what, is, what defenses would come to your mind that, that are not laughable, okay? I've asked this question to a lot of, a lot of high-end lawyers. So in his case,
2: <laughs> um, you know, if he came to me now— and the problem is he's got a he's got a record now of things that he has said. Um, you know, for the first thing if right. he had come to me early on, it would have been, How about just keeping quiet because stop making right. things worse by having inconsistent defenses right. and statements such as the things are planted or no, I took them because they're mine, um, or the latest, which appears right. to be I, I really like the classification covers. I just kept them as a memento, which is ridiculous. I mean, I've seen classification covers. Right. There's no reason to have many of them as a memento. Um, the normal um, defense for somebody who is a CEO type, and it frankly is the kind of thing that I assume President Biden is going to use, is uh, who the hell knows what my staff did? Um, this is a low-level staff... Uh, problem. When I used to prosecute people at Enron, you know, the, the hard part is showing knowledge and intent of the senior people because you usually have so much that's happening at the staff level which doesn't bubble up. And so it would have been uh, better for him to be saying, you know, I didn't have anything to do with boxing this stuff. I didn't want to take that stuff. It was news to me that it was there. Um, you know, those kinds of things. At At this point, I don't really think he has that uh, available to him. Um and you know, I, I wrote with the folks at, at Just Security, which is an NYU um uh outfit. And yeah, they're good. we wrote we yeah, they're fantastic. And we wrote a sort of sample right. Mar-a-Lago prosecution memo and we went through all of the defenses right. and we really, really tried to be serious about, you know, anything that we could think of. And essentially all we came down Uh, down to was he has really good arguments at sentencing as to why he should get a really low sentence or even not do time compared to other cases. But we (laughs) couldn't come up with a, uh, a, any sort of, you know, defense that would really be plausible other than, you know, obviously jury nullification. Um, So, you know, I think at this point, his best defense is sort of political uh, trying to get a pardon, make trying to bring the ca- make sure the case is brought in Florida so that there's a better jury pool. I mean, those are the kinds of things that you'd be focused on. Because I think this is, I, I think that the die is largely cast on this one, other than if the Biden situation is going to be this, you know, a gift that, that allows Trump to once again sort of escape, you know, being held accountable.
1: Correct. Right. So I, I, let, let let the record show that I've asked high end lawyers everywhere, the entire NYU law school faculty, <laughs> and no one has been able to come up with a defense for this. i just got kind of, It's just kind of uh, amusing, Andrew. But uh, at, at any rate, say so you obviously know uh, Jack Smith, and you obviously know her. I, I, can you tell our Listeners, do you have confidence that these are, are thoroughfare people who are not going to drag this crap out forever? So, Jack, uh, you know, to all, by all
2: accounts, and I mean, I know him pretty well. Uh, I was the chief of the criminal division at EDNY when he started as, in general crimes. Um, he uh, is super tenacious, really aggressive, extremely experienced. Uh, I think... He has state, federal, international experience. He has prosecuted political leaders internationally for war crimes. I mean, so it's hard to imagine somebody with, you know, better background and experience. And the, the one thing I really don't think people need to worry about, it was this issue of, gee, is this going to slow things down going from Garland to Jack Smith, and I, I sort of have the opposite view. I mean, I think Jack is very much going to be triage, focus on what you need to focus on, and move on.
0: How about Rob Her?
2: So I don't know Rob Her um, as certainly as well. We d- we didn't work in the U.S. Attorney's Office together. We overlapped a bit because of this Mueller Special Counsel uh, investigation. Um, so I I don't have a sense of his. Um, sort of speed and cutting to the chase. I mean, I, obviously I think that what he's inherited is a pretty simple case. Um, frankly, it's like the Mar-a-Lago case. These are not complicated matters. Um, frankly, I thought that of the Hillary Clinton email investigation. And I, I think it's really important that those things be done really quickly. In the in the Hillary Clinton case, I was I was surprised just how long that took. Um, but I think having a special counsel will move that along faster. Um, the one sort of, I think, somewhat concerning thing about Rob Herr is um, we've heard a lot about, under the Trump administration, the blurring of the lines between the Department of Justice and the White House. And Rob Herr, when he was the Paydag, which is the number two to Rod Rosenstein, he did a press conference announcing a bunch of cases and talking about ongoing cases. And he did that with a lead FBI agent, and he did it from the White House. Um, that is really unheard of. Um, and I, I know it's just a small uh, example, but it's, it's not, I don't think it's encouraging in terms of norm breaking uh, and understanding the role of the department in the scheme of things, which is to really be um, apolitical and, and stepping aside from uh, sort of White House direction.
1: Wow. Yeah. Wow. So how does this, before print over to Al, according to Justice for the Law of Regulation Special Counsel, how does this end? Let's just assume that at, at, at some point, he figures what we all figured, that m- mistakes are made, some aides put some stuff in there. How did did, did, did you issue a statement saying the investigation is over? Did, what, how how did, what's the legal way this ends or, or, I know it could end in an indictment, but i don't think that's going to yeah. happen
2: yeah okay so let's assume let's assume that's not where we end up on on Biden. It seems to me that that there's a couple things one, um, Rob herr could issue a private recommendation, which is what the regulations require uh, to uh, the attorney general and the attorney general accepts it uh, the um, Uh, The other thing he could do is he could do a sort of Bob Mueller approach, which is, I'm not going to issue a recommendation, except when Bob Mueller did that, it was because he didn't want to recommend for indictment for a sitting president when he thought there was not enough evidence he was willing to say it. So I think... Um, if, if Rob Hur is going to say that the Mueller, the Mueller example is a, an example of, of that you should go forward and issue that recommendation. And I think the big issue is whether there's a report. Um, and Rob could issue a report on what happened. And I think there would be a lot of pressure on Merrick Garland to make that public so that people have confidence this was really looked into and exa- there's a report of exactly what was said and who said
1: what to whom. Thank you. Robert?
0: You know, uh, as you know, Andrew, there was what was considered to be a very serious uh, investigation by the Manhattan um, uh, District Attorney uh, of Donald Trump's um, practices uh, about a year ago. Uh, apparently, a, a you know a great criminal lawyer, Mark uh, Pomerantz, uh, resigned because he thought the new DA was not uh, pursuing it vigorously enough. He has just written a book. I I haven't read it because I think it just came out. It has incurred the 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 wrath of the district attorney, Alvin Bragg. Can you tell us anything about it and what your take take is and and uh, what it's going to say about the Trump case? So I, I have
2: not read it either. I think it's sort of very much uh, uh, greatly anticipated. Um, you know, this is one where I know The the two prosecutors who are leading the investigation, I know both of them in various ways. Not not as well as I know Jack Smith, but Mark Pomerantz has a great reputation. Carrie Dunn, who I dealt with a bit when I was in the special counsel's office, um, you know, is is phenomenal. Uh, And so you have two incredibly reputable people who resigned, apparently, over disagreement over what should happen with that case. Um, And by the same token... I know a bunch of the people who are currently in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office in leadership, and I think equally highly of them. So, I'm really looking forward to this book because I'm very curious about what happened here. Is this just a disagreement that can happen from time to time between reputable people having a different view about the quality and quantity of proof that's necessary to go forward, or is there something else going on here? A lack of will, you know, poor judgment, um, etc. So you know, we don't really know. I think the latest, which is interesting, is in the Washington Post, there was an article today about um, Alvin Bragg um, saying that uh, Mark Pomerantz didn't go through pre what's called pre-publication review before you go uh, public with uh, information that happened when you were in the office. Um, that is, at, on the federal level, that is very standard. I and mean, even uh, I, of course, did it for my book. I had to go through a pre-publication review. It's lengthy, it's painful, but you get through it. Um, and John Bolton, even he went through pre-publication review. And the, the contrataille he had is that after it was approved by the, the apolitical people, it went to the White House, who who basically said, no, 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 it's not done. And he thought that it was very, very political. And he had a lot of substantiation for that. But even he went through that process. So it'll be really interesting to see what uh, Mark and Simon and & Schuster do in response to the uh, apparent brag letter to... Um, to the publisher.
0: Yeah, it will be. A- Andrew, you have said in the past that you think it's likely Trump's going to be indicted. Um, of all the investigations Fulton County, Mar a Lago, January 6th, and the aforementioned Manhattan, you're a great lawyer. Which one should worry him the most?
2: Uh,
0: I think Georgia
2: and uh, Georgia first and Manhattan second. Uh, and I say that. Not because I don't think there is serious, a serious likelihood of his being indicted on one or more uh, indictments in, at the federal level. It's that both of those state cases um, are not subject to a presidential pardon. So uh, if there were, for instance, to be a Republican in the White House, whether it's Trump or uh, somebody else um, in the next election, um, those charges at the state level stick. And uh, at least at the, in the Georgia charges, they appear uh, to be, on, on the face of it, fairly strong. And they, of course, have the Raffensburger tape. And what's great about that tape, not that it's, it's, not, it's not proof positive, but it does put Trump right in the center with his own voice that the jury will hear. Uh, so that he can't, as James was asking me, he can't say, oh, this was just underlings and I didn't really understand. I mean, he's right, right there pressuring um, himself and they can hear it. So I think that that is the one, if I were his defense counsel, that is the one that I'd be most concerned about.
0: They also have a much tougher RICO statute down there than the, uh, than the federal RICO statute, which uh, uh, absolutely. Uh, may yeah. make the case easier. Uh, Let me just one, I just want to wrap this one up. Uh, It's not all that important, but one of your special charges was Paul Manafort, who you convicted of conspiracy, witness tampering, bank fraud, and tax evasion. He was pardoned by Trump, and he's now written a book claiming he was a political prisoner. Refresh (laughs) us on Mr. Manafort. So Paul Manafort uh, was
2: was under investigation by the department for over three years when the special counsel was appointed. And um, he engaged in just a wholesale slew of crimes, um, whether it was sort of political-type things, such as uh, being a, a foreign agent who did not register for years and years, Uh, with all sorts of nefarious schemes, um, sending people to the White House to meet with senators' offices who were actually um, agents of foreign powers, but undisclosed to them. I mean, just just really bad stuff. Um, And then just a lot of financial stuff, um, tons of bank fraud. Um, The tax fraud was so blatant. He had foreign bank accounts that he falsely said he didn't have. And it was paying for things, Al, like um, his, uh, you know, millions of dollars of clothing, his weekly maid service, his gardening service in the Hamptons. All of that was paid by his accounts in Cyprus, uh, which of course he didn't, wasn't paying taxes on. So this was just Really blatant stuff, um, where I remember at some point early on when I looked at some, the just the tax fraud, I remember turning to Bob Mueller and saying, "You know what, if this isn't charged in two months, fire me um, this It just like i'd like to say I was a really great lawyer and a really great investigator, um, and i wasn't I mean this was really blatant stuff um, that uh, so you know, easy was,
0: uh, yeah. I, I just wanted to get that uh, I wanted to get that on the record, uh, James. Well,
1: no, Andrew. We see each other in person. Ask me to tell you a story about how long and how corrupt Paul Manafort has been corrupt. Because I, yeah. I, I got I got a doozy. i mean I got one gee, too. His own daughter said everything he got was stolen. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of hard when when your children think they're getting tainted inheritance. But at any rate, uh, now I just I just want to thank you and coming on and being so candid and and. Knowledgeable. And I, I, the one thing I do want to promote is the Just Security website. This this is really good stuff. Some of it can get, it's a little law professory and stuff, and it, it can wear you down some, some of it. But, but but the stuff there is really, really good analysis. And uh, they tell Brian Goodman, I guess it is, all the people that do that. that I'm, I'm a regular, uh, follow that site regularly. I think it's quite good. And so I I, I will, really I'll tell you that. I'll have you on the show.
0: Yeah, well, I'll tell them that, and I don't take any credit for it. Amen to that, James. And I also want to say all of you out there who have neighbors or family members uh, or coworkers who still pretend Trump was maligned, get Andrew's book, Where Law Ends Inside the Mueller Investigation. I mean, there is no (laughs) doubt. There is no doubt that he's writing about a bunch of crooks. Uh, Andrew Weissman, we can't thank you enough for being on this show again and uh, enlightening us. And I'm sure we'll come back to you at some point.
1: Absolutely.
0: Look forward to it. Thank you, counsel.
1: So, Al, one of the things that uh, Andrew Weissman said is that he knows a lot of people in the Manhattan DA's office, and they're quite good lawyers and that Buttresses the fact that our dear friend Walter Dillinger, who represented the Manhattan DA on acquiring the documents, uh, said that they were quite talented people in the Manhattan DA's office. So, uh, the, the, you know, this is not a pack of rubes. I mean, they got some good lawyers there. When no, Andrew um, Weissman and, and Walter Dillinger say they have good lawyers, they have good lawyers.
0: Yeah, it makes you feel better. I just hope that the the the, the lead person, the DA, uh, is yeah, is, uh, is 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 tough. But we'll find yeah, out. True all right james now for the outrage of the week um the missouri republican state legislature has been ridiculed for adopting a new dress code that signals out women members they've got to wear a jacket and never be sleeveless always covering their bare arms now james in this area i think dress codes are really stupid they're relics But if the U.S. House of Representatives took a look at this, you know, I know, as much as I oppose it, we may not be intimidated by Marjorie Taylor Greene's bulging biceps. And if they extended it to male members, House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan, requiring him to wear a jacket, he no longer could do his pathetic imitation of tough guy James Cagney. Wearing a jacket, Jim Jordan would be different. Okay, dream on, Albert. It's not going to happen. No worries. And also, Mr. Carville, I want to assure you, there will never be a dress code for politics war room. <laughs> but there's nothing turns me on like the sight of a woman's arm. <laughs>
1: <laughs> 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 I'm into arm, arm porn, you know, you've got an I, arm,
0: you got an arm fetish.
1: <laughs> oh man. Do I have an arm fetish? I do. You know, you know, particularly from, you know, the high arm, you know, right before the shoulder, I, I, I don't even understand what they doing and, I, I actually think sometimes, this, if anything, can be uh, slightly helpful. I, I don't have so much. I, I've had ten outrages, but I uh, will make an observation. There is a stampede effect in, in among all of us, and think of two things that you could—it was couldn't be enough stories—the rise of China. China is a coming superpower. Its GDP is going to outpace the United States. It, it shows you that, that a, a autocrat with a, with a capitalistic system is just more efficient than messy democracy and constituency groups. And it just it, – it wouldn't stop. Or they had hypersonic missiles and we didn't. And all of a sudden, and it, it, it kind of didn't happen It it, it didn't take very long. Now you can't read enough stories about the decline of China, the demographic crisis, the housing crisis, the debt crisis, the the, the COVID crisis. And I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure somebody saw this coming. But if they did, no, no one paid attention to them. And then how many times was the word inflation used the week before the election, right? A a, a million. It was all ones. Killing inflation is killing buying power inflation. Now, Larry Summers says he thinks we're going to have a soft landing. And you don't see, you know, inflation is, you know, so far in the last three months, it it has been unbelievably favorable. And by the way, I was going down faster than any in the world. And the story just dissipates, and I think that we got to be better, and I mean the collective we. And I would include you and I in that too. It is a little bit better than looking around the corner. I mean, because I mean these two stories were just so big and so omnipresent, and then all of a sudden, poof.
0: Boom. Well, that's James. Two guests. We are. We ought to, We need to get a really good China hand on someone who really knows China, uh, and can tell us uh, can tell us where it's going and 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 why. If there was this big miscalculation, right? And on inflation, I you know our old friend Roger Altman knows a lot about this. Maybe we would I'd love to have him on the show sometime next right. couple of weeks.
1: It just it's more of what causes, you know, what's the example? You said Senator McCarthy gets you the birds on the power, power line.
0: Yeah, right? yeah,
1: yeah. And, and I, I think people listen to our show to, to some extent that they think we can see around the corner a little bit. On some things we can, but on other things, not so good. We, we don't flush it out. We, we too much get caught up in the moment. And that's just a a, a general observation as to how freaking fast things change. Okay, two
0: guests are coming up, uh, but uh, you're right. All right, now for our listener questions. Again, just a terrific collection this week. A number of them were in things we've just discussed, so I'm going to probably not get to those. But um, this is, these are both ongoing stories. Um, I, this is a great question. Ed in Lawrenceville, Georgia says, right. the story may hurt you, but it's the photo editor who'll kill you. Over the last couple of days, I noticed a huge sudden change in Biden story photos. His mouth is gaping, and in many shots, he looks tired and confused. Gone are the Ray-Bans and the Biden grin. Am I imagining a purposeful thumbs-on-the-scale editorial move? I, that, I'll go to you first because you know more well, about moves, and may, maybe
1: he's just getting older, and his mouth is open more often than it used to be. I don't know.
0: Well, I think it's two things. I, you know, it, it may be that. You know, I'll go back and I tell a story. In 1984, we did a story about three, four weeks before the election on Reagan's age and how it worried people. He was, he was, I guess, then what in his early seventies. And uh, it was amazing for the next couple of days how, particularly on television, the, the shots of Reagan were totally different than they had been a couple of days beforehand. Now, he ended that problem with a strong debate performance. But I, I don't think it's – I don't think it's political or partisan, but I think that oftentimes the uh, the press follows uh, the zeitgeist of the moment. Uh, Biden's in trouble. And you're absolutely right, uh, Ed. Uh, f- uh, photos can kill you. Photos can hurt you a lot more uh, than stories sometimes. So when I first started, I went to a, a seminar in Wichita, and
1: I can't remember the, the Hank Parkinson, I think was his name, the political consultant. There. And his big thing is is that back then they had a file photo, all right, of of a candidate. And if it wasn't any good, he would like pay somebody to go take that photo out to file because it just keep running the same one. I don't think it works like that. It's all digital now, but it the at the front Early things I learned in, in, in my career is if you got a bad photo, get it out to file.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's true. Yeah. Um, Megan in uh, Waukesha, Wisconsin, asked, this is right down our alley, James, should Mallory McMurrow or Alyssa Slotkin run for the opening Senate seat in Michigan? Who would be better to win? We, uh, uh, we on this show uh, are Mallory McMurrow sycophants. We think she's fabulous. I, I gather, based on just a little bit of reporting, that she's likely to take a pass on this because Congresswoman Slotkin and maybe one or two others uh, are going to go for it. Uh, maybe that makes sense. But, uh, James, when there's an opening and you don't go for it, it means someone else is going to go for it. And, and your time may not come as soon as you hope. Well, I'll
1: I just make an observation. I know the idea if it's true or not, but Wisconsin has more place names that are difficult to pronounce in, in any other states. This was an easy one, getting. comparatively. Yeah, <laughs> comparatively. Man, yeah, I mean, it got voted from this place. It's wild <laughs> counties. Yeah, I don't even try to pronounce that. It, it, the truth of the matter is there's a staggering amount of female Democratic talent in Michigan led by none other than Big Gretch. And... Uh, Yeah, I don't know, because, you know, you got the the AG, the Secretary of State, the, you Mm -hmm. know, Congress, whatever. I mean, that's the whole Michigan experience is a a real testament to how a party can be really effective. And so maybe there's, there's no room at the top, but I suspect that our dear friend, Senator McMorrow,
0: will be at the top before long. Yeah, yeah, I agree. One way or the other. Uh Bob in Boise, Idaho says if President Biden decides to run in twenty twenty four, all signs are he's gonna can he replace Kamala Harris, he says, yeah. with former President Barack Obama. Uh I think we agree that's a non starter. But uh a constitutionally I don't think it could happen. I don't think it can either. He could, yeah, he yeah. could if if he went to but the Obama a- family, he should go to Michelle. But uh do you think there's any chance he would he would dump uh, Harris? You know, well, this is something that we know.
1: It's not gossip. They really did not want her, right? They, they, this was a political calculation. And of course, if should he decide that he's going to run for reelection, the, the vice president is a becomes a elevated position. It, 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 it's something they have to consider. That's something yeah. that they have to consider, but uh and and i'm sure that vice president Harris knows all of this and it it, it it's, it's difficult if i'll put it that way
0: yeah it is you know, i mean, you know, it's
1: kind of hard to see that you know i i don't know it's a it's a difficult question.
0: It is. Uh, he, he, he reportedly has told people at times, you know, he wishes he would have picked Whitmer. But in any event, I'll tell you one story, James, uh, about presidents and vice presidents. Um, Jerry Ford uh, was a very good friend of, was, was close to a very good friend of mine in Bale, Colorado, Rod Slifer. And after Ford lost in 76, Rod said to, to uh, President Ford, you know, if you'd picked Bill Ruckel's house instead of Bob Dole, You know, maybe you could have won. And Ford just dismissed it out of hand, said no one votes for the vice presidency. You're just wrong. That's it. Fast forward 15 years later and Rod and Jerry Ford are talking and Ford has just called George H.W. Bush to suggest that he replace Dan Quayle on the ticket. So it all all depends on where you are. Yeah, well, i I, I, I'm kind of think,
1: I don't know how William house would have gotten more than Bob Doe. I, I think Gerald Ford yeah. was correct in that assessment. And
0: well, you know, I, I was relieved
1: right. when President Bush, you know, left Coyle Lair because it was just like he's going to continue doing the same thing he's always done. I would have been more fearful if he'd have put somebody else to say, hey, look, I'm, I'm going with the office. But it, it, it's going to be— it, it, It's going to be a difficult decision
0: for Biden and his people. I'll I'll leave it at that. Yeah, 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 it will be. Um, James, I, you know, you, you, this is the, actually the next question is to me. It comes from Trudy uh, in uh, Kaluai, Hawaii. And this is a good question. This is really a, a great issue. She says, why are we allowed Republicans to lie about the funding for the IRS Republicans claim it'll find 87,000 IRS agents who'll come after middle class individuals and small businesses, when in fact the agency will result in more revenue since big earners won't be able to cheat as much. How come Democrats let them get away with that? You are absolutely right, Trudy. Those 87,000, first of all, they're not all new uh, audit agents. Uh, they have a terrible IT system over there. A lot of it will go to that. They, they desperately need uh, various support uh, staff over there. They're undermanned. And I forget the exact figure, James, but Larry Summers and others have said for every extra dollar they get of auditing rich tax cheats, and that's what they'll do. For every extra dollar uh, they, uh, every extra dollar spent on in order to get that, they bring in another four or five dollars. So it's a terrific investment. And the Republicans in voting to kill that, it won't happen because the Senate and Biden won't go along. They voted to kill the extra, I think, eighty billion dollars over ten years, and the CBO said it will cost. It will cost the taxpayers one hundred and fourteen million dollars. So the first thing House Republicans did was increase the deficit by thirty-four million dollars in order to protect a lot of their rich contributors.
1: Well, I, I, and I, I will give you enormous credit. You've been on this for a long time, and truly, by the way, I love that name. I had a dear friend from. Carville named Trudy who died years ago, but Trudy in Hawaii and I that, too. I love that name. <laughs> it, you know, it, 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 it and it's so blatant mm. and so repetitive. They just you, you got to understand. They don't care. They don't give a shit if they lie. If if you if you point out the fact that they lie and you put proof of it, they just say it ten times more. And I think the reason is, I, I guess, their people want. To be lied to, they demand it, they pay for it, so if you think you let, let's say you have a a, a right wing radio show all right it, but by the way, that 's a highly competitive market, and you say, look I, th- th- this is really 't affect the average guy. look if you're working stiff you, you you have they take out your taxes when you get your check, you don't have any sort of option if if you're a, a, a multimillionaire billionaire, that 's not the way it works. And, you know, there's all kinds of shady things you can do. They're never going to say that. Right. Because there is a large market that spends a lot of money that demands to be lied to. And there are people that fulfill that market and tell them the lies that they want to hear. That's what's driving all of this. Uh, This this is the marketplace of ideas where a good 30% of this country, you know, God damn it! I want I, I want to be told you know I don't I, I want to be told what I want to hear not what not what is the truth. So they give it to
0: you. Yeah, they sure do. Uh, James, we have an unwritten rule in this program: the questions from New Orleans go to you. So, uh, red in New red. Orleans says uh, we thankfully have more young and minority Democratic representatives, uh, candidates like Maxwell Frost in Florida. Uh, what more can be done to recruit more federal representatives of color and young people who are mainstream Democrats? It seems sure. more federal politicians in the mold of Governor Wes Moore uh, or John Ossoff in Congress would make it harder to paint Democrats as radical uh, or even old. You know, I I listened to Maxwell Frost. He was doing an interview, and and
1: he's clearly to the left of me, but he's good. The guy was, but gave a really good, honest interview. In you know how he you know paid the papers, his campaign's credit card. He didn't have any money. He had trouble finding housing, and he was very you know that that he had aspirational goals. And he understood that it was going to take work and time. I'm, I'm kind of, like I said, I'm not. He, he's clearly to to the left of me, but I'm kind of impressed with this guy. I really am. Yeah.
0: And,
1: and uh, you are right, West Wes Moore is a is a good example. You know, we have. You got to keep, you know, punching up. And you know, if you look at the the whole Democratic Caucus, it. it I can't tell you. It looks like America, but it's sure is starting to look like America.
0: And a lot of young talent there, too.
1: But we have got to figure out how that we increase black turnout and particularly young black turnout because Mm -hmm. it was abysmal. And it was abysmal in Wisconsin where you had Mandela Barnes, who was clearly a leftist, uh, you know, person of color. And they just didn't come. Right. And they didn't didn't come in North Carolina. They didn't come in Florida. And I don't. I think the answer to this question is important, and it's not easy, and it's probably multiple answers. But if our listeners are listening to this, if you want to send us a, a letter saying what you think, maybe we can get it on and get your thoughts on it. Because my gut tells me, but I don't know this, that the Democrats' reluctance to talk about crime, which is, according to the PUVO, 81%. Of, of, of blacks think this is a huge issue in in, in their neighborhoods, I, I think maybe showed us as out of touch. But that's only—some people say we, we should have, you know, put voting rights more front and center. I, I'm open to any explanation. I wish we would have. I just didn't, you know, there yeah, weren't I, the votes. I <laughs> I mean, I, I, again, but I'm I, I, I don't have the answer— but somebody ought to has got to find find out
0: yeah. what the answer answers are because it is a frickin' problem. Sure is. David in Livingston, New Jersey, says if uh-huh. the House Republicans want to play Russian roulette with the debt ceiling and federal spending, let them start to see the consequences. Why not the president and 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 Democrats immediately identify and implement spending cuts that target Republican leadership districts and key members? Couple, David. This is such a big issue right now. Uh, First of all, it's context on spending is the same as taxes. Russell Long used to say, "A tax reform it was really don't tax you, don't tax me, tax that fellow there under the tree." And what these Republicans want to cut things that don't affect them or their districts. The and I think politically, it's a loser for them. I think if they if they go and the United States uh, there's a shutdown, the United States goes into default, they're going to lose. There's a danger, though, because we're going to lose, too. I think markets will crater. Uh, I think it's just – it is an incredibly dangerous situation. This is not an argument over spending. And if you want to cut spending, if that's their goal, then do it in appropriations bills, spending bills. There's a vehicle for that. The debt ceiling has nothing to do with current or future spending. It only covers past spending, and it is sheer dangerous demagoguery to be playing Russian roulette, as you put it, David, on this issue? All right. Words count,
1: all right? So I have a favorability scale, and I use the term government spending. All right. A lot of people respond, but, but you know, just, just boom, don't call it it. Put spending on programs like Social Security and Medicare. Bingo. It goes off the chart. All right? So don't say say they are forcing this to cut Social Security and Medicare. That's exactly what this is all about. That's the most unpopular thing you can do. And, you know, the problem we we need to actually get Roger Altman on the show pretty soon because there's just a, a lot of economic stuff that we'll need him to, to walk us through. right. But- always, always, always specify the kind of spending that they want to cut. Because you just give generic, well, we've got to get government spending under control. And, you know, we've got to run the government like a household. And all that shit you hear, all right? That that people will go, well, oh, no. It's just that they want to cut Social Security and Medicare. Uh-oh, no, I don't do that. Bad idea. Be very, very focused. You know, uh, Mark Twain once said the difference between the, the right word and the, the nearly right word is the difference between lightning and a lightning bug, the <laughs> difference between government spending and cuts to Social Security and Medicaids. One is the lightning bug. One is lightning. I just, yeah, it just sure a little, is. little
0: sticking thing here. James, our final question comes now. Richard, I'm going to let you get away with this because you. He says, Richard in the Greater USA. Well, I'm sorry. We got some great <laughs> questions from New Zealand and Australia, but most of them are from the Greater USA. So, if you want any more questions, Richard, a one-time exception, uh, tell us where you're from. Uh, Richard wants to know why don't. Democrats hire the same highly effective creators that make up the Lincoln Project's hard-hitting, clever advertising spots.
1: Well, you know they are all very clever spots. I, I and I, I like a lot of those guys. And I, there's a difference between a clever spot and an effective spot. Right. All right. And what the Lincoln uh, Project does is they get under Trump's skin. All right. And they get under, and, and they're very effective, very creative about it. I, I think more effective spots are used, kind of ordinary people, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't have a, I, I know them, they, they, you got to, I'll give them enormous credit. that They didn't look back. Uh, some of them are, are, are good friends of mine. Uh, and, and they're very creative people. But sometimes You know, just slugging it out is better politics. Yeah. I'm not saying that they're not helpful at
0: all. Keep those questions coming in. Those we didn't get to this week, we'll try to get to next week. Richard, if you're right again, tell us where you're from. Hey, thanks for listening to Politics War Room with James Carville, and I'm Al Hunt. Don't forget to send your questions for us by email to politicswarroom at gmail.com or tweet them for next week's show at Politicon. Following this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you check out the link to our sponsor, Lomi, in the show notes. We thank you for supporting them, because when you do, it makes this podcast happen. To keep up with us, subscribe to Politics War Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Now, please rate the show with a five-star review. We'll be back next week with another show as we continue our War Room planning.